Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Derhodge. Thanks again for tuning in for Authentic Living with Roxanne. Uh, today I have a special guest, uh, Kendra Weenie. Uh, Kendra and I, um, I initially met her brother, um, who I recently uh, interviewed on the podcast. And uh, Kendra had a, has a quite an intriguing path herself. And I asked her to come on and uh, share her story with us. So Kendra, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about, um, this is an interesting topic and something that's dear to my heart. Um, unfortunately, having witnessed it as a child, um, it's uh, something that I can relate to. Uh, and uh, Kendra has written a book uh, called Surviving Domestic Violence. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book, and that's what she's going to be talking about today. Predominantly, kind of things that are related to domestic violence and self-care. Her book is a memoir that outlines the challenges of breaking out of the intergenerational cycle of violence. She shares an experience of growing up in poverty in, in, on Sweetgrass First Nation, being raised by a single mom and circumstances leading up to her former abusive relationships. She says, shares messages of hope and self-care while taking you on her healing journey. I, I would like to just kind of talk a little bit about that path um, that life kind of took you on. And like I said, having uh, talked to your brother a little bit and spent some time with him, I know a little bit of the story, but I want to kind of honor your space and, and for you to tell me about your path and kind of what things were like for you growing up. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we have, me and Kendall have had the opportunity to speak at a, a few events together where we, we were asked to go and um, share our stories and I usually tell people, we, we grew up together, but uh, our experiences were very different. Um, what I mean when I say that is my relationship with my parents was a lot different than his relationship with our parents. Um, I'm the eldest daughter in our family of four. Kendall's the oldest child in our family. So he was um, more... Uh, how would you say it? Favored, I guess, <laughs> being the eldest and only boy in our family. And because I'm the eldest daughter, a lot of, a lot more responsibility was put on me. Um, I didn't have the closest relationship with my mom, who was a single parent, unfortunately. So, and our dad was uh, an absent father, you know, to us growing up. And I always thought I was closest to my dad out of all my siblings. And I really needed him around growing up. So that really affected me as a child and as a young adult. So I grew up having a lot of anger issues, a lot of resentment towards both my parents. And um, that, of course, you know, led to a lot of self-esteem issues. Um, I was never exposed to a healthy relationship, so I didn't know what to look for when I started dating at the age of 14. 
And, uh, but the one thing I want to mention, I also um, spend a chapter talking about sports in my book. When I became involved in sports at the age of 14, it was like my anger management. It was like a really, it was a really great form of um, therapy for me. It was a really good way for me to let out all that anger and frustration that I held towards mostly, mostly my parents. And, um, but around that age, you know, I, I remember feeling really just a huge lack of love overall. Um, I was struggling a lot with my mental health. Um, I don't, I don't actually open up about it a lot in the book, but I've always struggled with anxiety and depression growing up. I just don't talk about it in much detail in my book or even now, like usually I'll talk about it during um, when I go to see my counselor, but not so much with um, like the work that I'm doing. Mm. So I was having a lot of, you know, mental health issues and uh, even suicidal thoughts. Like my thoughts got that dark at that age. And I thought, well, if, you know, no one's going to love me at home. I'm going to go find a boy to, a boy to love me. So I mm -hmm. thought finding somebody to love me was the answer to all my problems. That's, that's what, that's where my mind was at that uh, vulnerable age. So I started dating uh, with no standards. <laughs> it was pretty much, you know, a boy like me, then, then we're going out. And um, for 10 years, I was just kind of caught up in this uh, destructive dating uh, phase where towards the end of that 10 years, I was attracting the same types of partners. I found myself attracting uh, guys who were controlling, um, guys who usually had some kind of addiction. Usually it was alcohol, alcoholism. And just really, um, really, I was caught up in a cycle of toxic relationships because I was drinking at that age too. I drank quite a bit. And usually that's how I would end up meeting my partners, you know, in my, in my early 20s. And then by the time I was 24, I graduated from the, it's called the ITEP program at the University of Saskatchewan. So it's a Bachelor of Education. And I remember this was the last time I um, actually, you know, kind of went out drinking. I decided to quit after uh, I became a mom. But so that last night on my graduation night, I decided, oh, well, I'm going to go out and celebrate with my two of my, you know, best friends and uh, go and meet a new man because I was, I was single at the time and I was about to repeat another very toxic cycle. And so I go out to the bar and as I'm sure you know and the listeners know, it's not very hard to meet somebody at the bar. <laughs> it's not very hard, but those are usually the worst kinds of people, you know. So... I'm dancing on the dance floor and uh, it must have been like after midnight sometime. And even like my memory of that night is quite vague um, because I had a little bit too much to drink. And I remember seeing this really tall, handsome black man just outside of my circle of friends that I was dancing with. And what I remember from that night was I'd never even been attracted to black men up until this point, but there was just something about him. There was something about him. Well, for one, he was very handsome, like a very handsome man, very tall, 
and uh, I recognized him from uh, a volleyball tournament like years prior. So there was a connection there and I had a, a reason to go and talk to him. So I'm actually the one who pursued him. And uh, Chris and I started dating like almost immediately after we met. And I go into a lot more detail in my book about that night, like from, you know, the little that I remember and what Chris told me. And man, like after meeting him, getting to know him a little more, I thought I met the guy that I was going to end up with for the rest of my life. I didn't know anything bad about him. You know, he just seemed so perfect. He was so charming, so funny, like just, oh my goodness, so many good things. And um, because I was caught up in that, all of that goodness, like that I, that I thought, I, I thought he was the one for me. And I was so like almost desperate, I guess, to like meet somebody that I was going to end up with for the rest of my life. Because of that, I ignored a lot of a lot of the red flags. I didn't know enough about red flags going into that relationship. So just a couple that I want to share. Um, the first one was he wouldn't talk about his past. He was 12 years older than me, or is 12 years old, older than me. He would not talk about his past. He obviously had a lot more experience with, you know, relationships and whatnot, but he wouldn't open up about it. And I kind of justified that by saying to myself, well, oh, his, his exes must have put him through a lot or, mm-hmm. you know, making up excuses for him because I like fell in love with him right away. Another one was um, he, I didn't know about his drug addiction, but he was showing signs of withdrawals very early on he would fall asleep in the middle of the day like four o'clock in the afternoon you know and then again a couple hours later he'd just fall asleep and take a really quick cat nap and I was like what you know that that really threw me off guard and when I asked him about it he's like oh I have narcolepsy Mm. narcolepsy you know and his story sounded so believable and so I was like, oh, you poor thing, you know, like, I, it just kind of made me love him even more, because I thought he was being honest with me. So tons of red flags, you know, early on in our relationship. But, you know, I kind of looked past a lot of things, uh, mostly because I was naive, I didn't know. But we just kind of rushed into that relationship, moved in together after two months, Um, by then I actually found out about his drug addiction, um, got pregnant after five months. And by then, uh, I felt, I remember feeling really trapped because I was already being abused emotionally and financially. And I was like, oh, well, this is just his way of, you know, trying to keep me in the relationship. And it was working because I felt like I couldn't leave. And then eight weeks into my pregnancy was the first the first time he became physical with me and at that time we broke up for a couple weeks and I told myself well man I really don't want to be a single mom I saw all of the challenges my mom suffered through being a single mother I did not want to be a single mom 
Secondly, I did not want my child growing up without a dad because I grew up without a dad and that was very hard on me. I didn't want my child having, you know, the same self-esteem issues that I had. And then the, th the third thing, I made this agreement with myself that if he's a good dad, I told myself, if he's a good dad after our child is born, it'll make up for everything he's put me through up until now. Like that'll, you know, justify everything. So we got back together, moved back in together closer to home uh, in North Battleford, which is like 20 minutes from uh, my home reserve, Sweetgrass. And our little daughter was born on August 9th of 2013. So we named her Kalea, Kalea Marie. And as soon as she was born, my whole mentality shifted. Suddenly, I don't care if my relationship works out with Chris. All I care about is my well-being and Kalea's well-being because I knew that, you know, I had a huge responsibility put on me now. And if he wasn't going to, you know, step up and be a dad, be a good dad and quit his addictions, then I'm, I'm out of here kind of thing. So as soon as Kalea was born, I started to pray really hard every day, either for a way out of the relationship or for Chris to step up and change and, you know, be the dad he promised he was going to be. And uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail about um, what happened next, because I go into a lot of detail in my book. But long story short, my prayers were answered eight days later. Kalea was only eight days old. And he ended up beating me so severely that I thought... I wasn't going to live past that night. Mm -hmm. And it was actually prayer that saved my life in that, in that moment. <clears throat> and I, I just felt, you know, after everything happened, after I was able to escape, after Kalea was, you know, safe and unharmed, I was just so thankful. I just felt so thankful that I was able to get out of there and I kind of made this deal with myself again in the back of my head that <clears throat> obviously I survived for a reason. Um, there's something, you know, it, it probably has something to do with what I'm meant to do in life. And I decided the only way that I'm going to move past this, the only way I'm going to heal and, you know, move on is if I start taking care of myself. So I started doing that. At first it wasn't every day, but now it's every day. You know, it took over six years to get here. But I started doing a lot of things for self-care. So counseling, number one. Um, I started going at least once a week. Um, I share a lot more in the last chapter, but I'll, uh, I'll share just a few here from uh, a list that I came up with. I started listening to my body more. I started investing in myself. So spending money on myself, uh, stepping out of my comfort zone, which was so, so, so hard. But, you know, the more I took care of myself, the easier it was. Um, I decided I needed to break that cycle of violence in my family in order to um, set a good example changing the way I viewed things so that I'm not always uh, playing the victim, you know, taking ownership of, 
my own mistakes because Chris was my decision. You know, I can't put the entire blame on, on him or um, the circ- circumstances that I grew up with. He was my decision. Like entering that relationship was my decision. And stop, I stopped comparing myself to others. That was a huge thing that's really helped to get me to where I am. But the number one thing that I always share with people is the number one thing that I did to, uh, I guess, accelerate my healing journey was to share my story. So the first time I did that was in October of 2017 in front of uh, 500 strangers at a conference. Um, It wasn't really... It wasn't really planned, but um, I was part of a youth panel and we were asked to share challenges that we've experienced to get to where we are. And I was like, I have to, you know, like I have to, I have to share. So, So, you know, so clearly, you know, you repeated a lot of patterns and I think a lot of people, to your point, when you tell your story, um, what I see, you know, as a mental health and wellness specialist is that a lot of people, like, like you said, they replace it. They look at it as, well, you know, um, he's loving or he appears nice or he doesn't raise his voice or those types of things. So it's almost like compensating in your mind because you want things to work so badly. And that's clearly a lot of what you did. Yeah. And you know, that kind of, you know, speaking to the whole kind of cycle you know, when you, when you look at where do we learn about relationships, obviously our first primary relationship is kind of important. And then we kind of start to, you know, try to go out there and find that love that we were seeking that we didn't get as a child. Exactly. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like that, that's what you did. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, you know, you, you left when your daughter was eight days old. Yeah. That, that takes a lot because obviously you're, you know, you're still, your hormones are still swirling. You now you've been through such a traumatic event and, you know, oftentimes what, you know, with, with women that are abused, they, they, sometimes I think the statistic was something as high as 35 times where calls have been made out to the police before women actually make that step, which is very, very high. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. And then, you know, to finally make that step, like you've got a baby, you're, you know, all those, all those dreams, but then something in you must have clicked that said, okay, Kendra, like enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And was, yeah. it that, was it that little face that said she deserves better? It was, yeah. And it was, it was pretty much um, life or death because I knew that what he was capable of had I stayed. Okay. okay. Yeah. So when you go out and when you talk to um, audiences, what's the primary thing that people share with you about abuse? What kind of things do they share? Um, a lot of people, well, I've heard women say that, and, and it's usually um, a secondary source that tells me it's not, a lot of times it's not the woman themselves who will you know come up and tell me that I didn't even realize you know I was in an abusive relationship before or you know I didn't know that I didn't know about red flags either 
Um, I get asked quite a bit about red flags. So speak to, speak to that a little bit more. Like uh, you gave some examples, but define what a red flag is for anybody listening um, that maybe they're kind of thinking, oh, I don't like my partner sometimes, or maybe he, he or she's not bad. But those red flags are some key indicators that it's enough for you to explore further. I often say sometimes we think something's a red flag and if we might explore it, we realize, okay, in fact, maybe I'm a little bit um, hypervigilant or super aware. But if the, if, if the red flag is not a red flag, it kind of bears up. But if it's a red flag, it keeps showing itself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, I find that it's little, you know, patterns of behavior that you notice in your, your partner or uh, you get these gut feelings, you know, a lot of times it's you having to listen to your body. So if you have a gut feeling that uh, your partner might be, you know, talking to other women, for example, usually your gut is right. Um, I, I talk a bit about that in my book too. Um, so the, the night, you know, when I was eight weeks pregnant, I had this gut instinct that my partner was up to no good. So I looked through his phone and I, you know, saw evidence that um, he was doing drugs again, you know, so my gut, that was my gut telling me that I need to, you know, watch out kind of thing. So always trusting your gut instinct because it's more like more than likely right. Um, A few other red flags would be, you know, they seem too good to be true. They're not opening up to you about, a lot of things that you ask them like about their past um they're short tempered if they ever this hasn't happened to me but i did a little bit of uh, reading up on some red flags if they ever embarrass you in front of other people like especially in public that's that's a red flag um you know just any kind of disrespect um if they're jealous that's another major one if they're mm-hmm. easily jealous yeah so, Reddy, I think to, to your point, and, and what a lot of people do is they kind of negate, like with, with, the, with that gut instinct, it's really true. We actually have um, more nerve cells in our, in our gut than we do in our actual brain, mm, right? Okay. So that makes sense. So, you know, when we say I have a gut feeling, yeah. is not any wonder, right? So the, with neuroscience now, they're able to prove that, that we actually get those messages first before it actually gets... Uh, to the actual brain. So you started doing certain things to listen to your body, Kendra. What, what kind of things did you start to do that helped you get more connected to yourself? Because obviously you've been seeing this from a very, very young age. You learned, you learned that your needs didn't matter because your parents were so preoccupied with kind of their lives and their turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um, so somewhere in there, that little girl said, you know, what I need is not important. So I'm going to go outside of myself to fulfill my needs. Yeah. So how did, when, what did you start to do to connect it? How did you know you were getting connected to what was really good for Kendra? Um, oh man, it took a lot of just trying different things, like trying different things for self-care. Um, mostly it was stuff that were free because, you know, I didn't have a lot of money after becoming a single parent. Um, so counseling, counseling you know getting that second opinion from a non-friend non-family member um positive self-talk 
I started doing everything. I had to do that every single day. And at first I, you know, had to fake it quite a bit because I was never kind to myself. So, you know, I'd say fake comments, positive comments to myself when I looked in the mirror every day. Um, but now it's like, I, I had to practice it every day so that it would kind of just flow naturally, which it does now. You know, I'm a lot kinder to myself now, but it's, you have to do it every day. Self-care is something you have to do every day. Um, I started going to Reiki. So for those of you who don't, um, haven't tried Reiki or don't really aren't familiar with it, it's a form of energy healing. So very fortunately, there was a woman that lived on Sweetgrass um, that I would go to see, you know, every, I tried to see her once a month, but, you know, I couldn't always afford it. And, oh my goodness, like Reiki really helped me to um, just calm my anxiety because I had a really hard time sleeping for the first year after leaving. I was filled with so much anxiety. Um, I was in and out of depression and just had a hard time um, keeping calm, calming myself. Mm -hmm. um some other things I started doing a little later on were I started playing sports again which really helped to clear my mind you know just getting active again I started painting which was a huge stress reliever like I'd recommend art therapy to anybody you don't have to be good at it it's just it's it's awesome um and I actually deliver guided art workshops as part of my um my self-care workshops um pension and trauma release exercises was another thing I started doing about six months when Clea was about six months old and same thing as Reiki like it just completely calms you and it's, where did where did you learn these exercises so that one was introduced to me by a couple of old volleyball coaches actually in the North Battleford area um Marie Gras and Jackie Maloney they're certified TRE instructors. So they, you know, invited me out. They heard about what I went through. What's TRE? TRE stands for Tension and Trauma Release Exercises. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they're very uncomfortable. Like, um, you're, it's mostly your legs that just kind of shake uncontrollably. You don't really, you can't really control, you know, the amount of shaking, but it's like that your body just releases so much uh negativity um you know trauma that you've been through your body's kind of releasing it and everyone's different like everyone is gonna react differently to it but yeah they're i just found it really beneficial amazing amazing mm -hmm. so i'm gonna assume that someday you're gonna have to tell kalia um some of the story about why you left for, for anybody out there that maybe knows that they have to get out of a situation or whatever, mm -hmm. I'm just curious, what kind of words would you, what would you say to Kalia when she is a bit older and she starts asking, I'm sure she's already asking questions. Yeah. What do you say to her? Um, she asked nonstop when she was four years old. She's six and a half now. And every single day, because she, would, she just really wants a dad. And she couldn't understand why, like, her dad, she never even met him, you know. So I sat her down one day and I told her in a very child-friendly way, 
so that she'd understand, you know what, um, your, your daddy wasn't very nice to mommy, your daddy hurt mommy. And if we would have stayed, he might have started hurting you too. And she's a very stubborn kid. <laughs> and she's also a visual learner, like a lot of other kids. So I kind of thought, well, you know what, I was the same way when I was a kid. I know I was the same way. I was super stubborn. And I was like, well, oh, I don't know how I'm going to, you know, get through to this kid, get her to understand. So I was like, okay, um, I think I have to show her. So I showed her a picture of what I looked like after Chris had beaten me. And of course it, it made her upset. Um, and she was, you know, getting upset and, and, but it took me showing her that for her to understand. And I thought, well, you know what? I have to be honest with her because she's going to grow up being angry, angry with me for withholding that information, just like the way that I had anger and resentment towards my parents. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just, you know, just be honest with your kids in a child friendly way. And that, yeah. that takes a lot of strength, right? Because you want to protect her, but then again, you don't want her to believe that you're keeping away, her away from her dad exactly. you know, with, yeah. without a valid reason. Yeah. Kendra, this is a, a very powerful story, you know, because I think so many people struggle, uh, and maybe it's, it's not physical, but a lot of emotional relationships, and, and they stay because they stay for the same reasons. I didn't grow up with a dad. Um, you know, my mom and dad, um, you know, separated early. I, I yearned for love, all those things, all the same reasons. And I think of my life story where I kind of repeated the pattern and um, where there was not physical abuse, but I made a, a limited choice in my partner at 18. Mm -hmm. And it, it, bore, it bore out in different ways. Because in my opinion, when you don't work through the issues that you brought up with, what happens is it can get a bit differently. And after 25 years of marriage, my, my marriage ended also um, for the elements of the things that blocked me from seeing what would have made me happy. So um, your journey makes a lot of sense. I'm sure a lot of people listening, men or women can also relate. Mm -hmm. What words of any, now you, you do, she speaks, she trains. Um, now we, I hear there's art therapy with the self-care, which is awesome. Um, tell people a little bit where they, they can and if they want to, to come to one of your workshops or have you speak for their companies where they can get a hold of you? Yeah, so I have a website. Um, it's just my first and last name, kendraweenie.com. Um, that would probably be the best way to reach me because it, it, it connects to my personal email. So um, there's that. I'm also on social media. So I have a Facebook page called Kendra Weenie Speaking and Workshops. And then I'm also on Instagram, but again, like through my website is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Any last words of wisdom for anybody that may be struggling with a decision about leaving? What, what would you say to them, Kendra? I would say, I'll actually leave off with the message that um, I usually leave off when I do presentations. And that is everyone on this world is worthy. You are worthy of a good life and you are worthy of healthy love, but you need to start by showing yourself love first. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. My takeaway is that um, just to listen, it's something very basic. And I think
um, we get so harried in our lives that we don't slow down. And the gift of uh, presence and mindfulness is something that you can do for yourself really quickly. It doesn't have to be, you know, long extended, but you can do this to really challenge yourself to really, whether it's to get out in nature for a walk or to close your eyes and, and uh, listen to what your body's telling you, just little things that you can do daily. So, Again, Kendra, thanks for being here. For anyone who needs more information, um, I'm Roxanne Durhaj. I'm a mental health and wellness specialist. And if you're wanting to know, um, uh, you know whether you are in a, a healthy relationship, you can connect with me at roxanderhodge.com. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhaj.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.